I have a pool at my house. How many people have a pool? You got a pool at your house? Okay. So I've got a pool at my house. I just want to say a few things about the pool because I think churches are like pools. And I want to explain that. You know, in my, in my, uh, when I built, we built our pool and I built a little shelf around the, the edge of it there because in the deep end, I, I have three sons and they were, they were small. And I didn't want to find out one day that I was minus one son, if you know what I mean, because they could drown in the deep end. So anyways, you got a little shelf there on it. But pools, you know, you have the, thank you for the one amen. I appreciate that. So they have the, they have the deep end. Then you've got the shallow end. And this is what churches are like. Because see, church, churches, you know, they'll have a shallow end where you go. And maybe it's kind of introductory, kind of 101A, sort of, you know, splash around in your floaties there in the shallow end. And, and, but you really never quite get to the deep end, you know, where you maybe you're challenged to do something or to go, go deeper. Then other churches, you know, they can, they have a deep end, you know, some of them like they're so into having a deep end that you don't even know what, you don't even understand what they're talking about on Sunday morning because they're trying to be so deep. You know what I mean? So anyway, uh, so, but seriously though, a deep end, you know, is where people can go deeper, be challenged, and uh, and it can be a little uncomfortable there in the deep end because it takes more energy just to survive in the deep end. Well, all all that to say this, uh, this church, I want us to have a shallow end and a deep end, both, okay? Why both? Because you have people that they're new to church, they're new to the faith. You can't have them jumping in the deep end, you know, in over their head. But so they got to start somewhere. So they start kind of intro level, understanding, you know, the basics, you know, growing up. And then we kind of nudge you over to the deep end. And here's my job. My job is to push people and shove them over into the deep end, sometimes when they're not comfortable. That's my job. And so as long as I have breath, I'm going to be pushing you into the deep end. Okay, so that's what I'm going to be doing. So just I'm just telling you right now, you're new to the church. I'm coming after you, nudging you into the deep end. All right? So grabbing those sleeping bags, that's a little bit of the deep end experience. Going up to a homeless person that you don't know and presenting that bag, that's a little bit of a deep end experience. So that's what we want you to have. Going to Mexico, people are freaked out of their minds. That's a deep end experience. Going to Sucumbi Lake last week or yesterday, the uh, the text that I read you, that's a little deep end experience. So we're going to continue to create those experiences. And here's why. The Bible says this, it says in Ephesians, God has given you, he gives us people, it says pastors and teachers, and why does he do that but to equip us for the work of the ministry? So see, you're the ministers of the church. We think that's the stage people know. Biblically speaking, it's you're the ministers of the church. So sleeping bags, that's like empowering you. Okay, that's equipping you so you can go do the work of the ministry. That's why we don't have somebody else do it. We want you to do it. We want you to go to Mexico. We want you to go to Africa. We want you to go to Houston because you're the ministers of Sanctuary Church. Right on? Come on. You can do better than that. Right on? what I'm talking about, baby. All right. So today, today we're going in the deep end in the message. Okay. We're not splashing in the shallow. We're jumping in the deep end. Colossians chapter one, verse 15 through 22. The title of the message is 10 great truths about a great Jesus. I'm going to read it for you. I know some people can't stand to your feet. And so if you can't stand to your feet, please stay seated. No pressure. But if you can stand to your feet, I want you to stand to your feet. Look at the screens while I read. If you would stand to your feet. Those of you that can, stand to your feet. Okay. says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him he might be the preeminent one. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, you here this morning, who were once far away from God, and you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Right on, baby. That is awesome. That's awesome. Okay, you can maybe be seated. So this morning here, we're going to discover, we're going to discover as a community, 10 great truths about Jesus uh, that you need to know. And let me just say this uh, by way of introduction. You know what? You can stay home on Sundays, and you can listen to the greatest uh, speakers and preachers on the planet. You can podcast them, but here's why you need to go to church on a Sunday, and you need to, we need to be together. Because see, you, there are things to experience here in the room. In worship, you know, that you can only experience that God is doing, that you can only experience here, and you can't experience on a podcast. So we need to be here because God does things in the room. God does things in community, and that's why it's worth it to gather together as a community. So, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 24, 22. So let me say this. Paul now started the, started, uh, was a sport, a part of starting this church here. And this is one of the churches that he wrote to uh, among many churches. He wrote 13, 14 books of the New Testament. So here's what's happening. Paul here is a bad guy. Paul's like Paul bin Laden. I mean, he's like, if he saw you, he wants to rough you up. He wants to beat you up, bloody you up, throw you in jail or murder you. Paul is that guy. Okay, Paul would just as soon be done with you. He hates Christ followers. Then he has this one-on-one experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road, transforms him, changes everything about his life here. And so then what happens is Paul is no longer Alpha Wolf beating up the church. Now Paul is on the other side of the equation, starting churches, writing letters, you know. So what he does is he writes from jail. He's writing from jail this letter to this church in the city of Colossae, one of the smallest, most insignificant uh, cities that he would ever write to. So we're going to jump into the deep end here, beginning in verse 15. Are you ready? Are you ready? Christ is the invisible image, the visible image of the invisible God. So it says, watch, Christ is. Everything we're going to talk about is about Christ here. We're going to unpack 10 great truths about Christ. It is all about him here. And it says this, that he's the visible image 
of the invisible God. Now, why does he have to be, why does he have to do that? Why does he have to, uh, what is it about God that God needed Jesus to kind of show up? Well, look at what it says here. He's an invisible God. See, you can't see God. You can't really know God here. And so, uh, because he can't be seen, because he's not visible, the Bible says nobody has seen God at any time here. And so, literally, God cannot be seen with the naked eye. And so, if, in First Timothy, it says that God is, you know, Jesus is eternally mortal and invisible. God is invisible. And so, because you have an invisible God... We can't really comprehend him. We can't know him. We can't understand him. The Bible says God's spirit. You can't see spirit. So what are you, like, what are you going to do here? How, how are you going to see God here? And so the God of the cosmos, this, this immense God here, you know, he's so infinite. He's so other. He's so out there, you know, how can I get my mind, you know, around this God who is so beyond my understanding? So what God does then is God reveals himself to us by sending his son. So the invisible God becomes visible in his son. The unknown God becomes known in his son. And so this is what God does to reveal himself. This unseen God now is seen in Jesus. And so Jesus then is the visible image of the invisible God. So Jesus is God with skin on him. Now we know what God is like. And it says that he is the exact outward expression of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus then is a perfect portrait, a mere image then. He personifies the Father in every way. He is the exact likeness of God there. So if you want to know who God is, you're new to church, trying to sort it out, what is, G, what is God like? All you do is you look to Jesus. If you want to know who God is, what God is like, you don't have to speculate. You don't have to wonder. You just go straight to the source. Look at Jesus. So Jesus shows me everything that I need to know about God. He, the author of Hebrews put it this way. He said, he's the exact representation of God. That's who Jesus, the exact representation of God. So it's like this. God takes a selfie and it's Jesus. That's pretty good. That took me a long time. I said before, it takes me hours to come up with stuff like that. I hope you appreciate it. So anyway, but really, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, Jesus is the Snapchat of God. He's, if God had a Facebook, it's Jesus, you know? And so that's who you see there because you can't see God here. Now, so a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity uh, through Pastor Sean to meet Billy Graham's grandson, Roy. I heard about him and I, I thought, you know, he asked me, he said, uh, he, real casual, hey, you want to meet Billy Graham's grandson? I'm like, duh, come on, dude. Like, what do you think? I mean, if I, only if I'm breathing. So I said, yeah, I'd love to meet, uh, kind of, kind of, yeah, of course I'd love to meet Roy Graham. So I went down to Riverside as we were pulling up. I saw him and I knew it was him. I'd never seen him before. I just, I said, that's got to be Roy Graham right there. So I sat, I sat down at a table with him about 45 minutes or an hour at Starbucks and uh, just a few feet away from him. And I thought, I'm just going to start asking him every question I can think of to ask him. And so unabashed, I don't care what he thinks. I may never see him again. So I just started firing questions at him. And in, as he was talking, Roy Graham, I thought, oh, now I know what Billy Graham is like. And as he was talking, I would think, I'm thinking to myself, 
man, he talks just like his grandfather. He kept making reference to Billy Graham, and, uh, and he would say things and do things in his mannerisms and gestures and kind of his vision for life and everything. I thought, I'm like beholding Billy Graham in the grandson. So what I'm thinking to myself as I'm talking to him. That's what Jesus is like. You're beholding God when you see Jesus, okay? So he is the exact image, the visible representation of God. So um, that's good. That's really good. So number one in your notes, number one in your notes, Jesus makes the invisible God visible. If you want extra credit, you want a gold star in heaven, fill in your notes. Jesus makes the invisible God visible there. The takeaway is this. Because Jesus makes the invisible God visible, you can know God. How awesome is that, that you can know your maker okay, by knowing Jesus. Jesus said this in John 14, 9, He who's seen me has seen the Father. And so all that the Father is, is revealed in the Son. Continuing verse 15, on the screens there, it says this. He existed before anything, was created, and is supreme over all creation. So Jesus has no beginning. He has no end. So before all material, before time, He was. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 puts it this way in Jesus being introduced there. It says, Unto him who was, past tense, is present tense, and is to come the future, he is. So Jesus was, is, and is to be all at the same time. He is eternal there, and so he is God. And so the first takeaway is that the invisible God is made visible. But he existed before anything was created. In other words, he's pre-existent. To everything that you could see. Verse 16 says this. For through him, God created everything in heavenly realms and on earth. He made things we see and things we can't see. Okay, And then uh, for everything is created through him and for him. So watch this. He's the creator of all things. You are not here this morning. You did not come from some primordial goop and then violate all the scientific laws of thermodynamics and entropy. And I'm going to talk about that later where there's no very little science behind it. It's just all theory. You didn't come from evolution. You came from a God of intelligent design who created you on purpose with a purpose. I'm telling you. So... Everything it says is that, that you can see. Um, so now I decided, let's give a little intro. I'm going to talk about it in a month. We're going to break it down for you in great detail. But uh, I just want to give you a little intro there. But all creation is centered in Christ here. So everything you can see, everything you can touch, everything you can feel, everything you can smell, everything you can experience, Jesus created it. The Bible says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, okay, before anything existed, uh, in the beginning, God created. In the original language in Hebrew, it's Elohim, the plural form of God, created, bara, created out of nothingness. So everything you see, God created out of nothingness. Unlike when we create, we create from pre-existing things. So Jesus created everything. He is the divine designer there. So he's the source of the cosmos, okay? Everything you know, that you can, it says you can see and what you can't see. Everything you can see, he created. Everything you can't see, he created. You know, molecules, neutrons, protons, electrons. He created all of that. So he created the, the, the reality that you can see. 
But there's an unseen reality that you can't see. The supernatural. There are demons and angels. He created that too. He created everything here. And so forth through him, God created everything. So your second takeaway is this. Your second takeaway is this. Is that you were created by God and for God. Now think about that here. If you, if you get a hold of this, this will change your life. When you realize that I wasn't created for me, for myself, for other people. I was, first of all, I was created by intelligent design, but I was created for God. I was created to have relationship with God here, to please God, to live for His purposes here. And so it says in verse 17, if you want to look up at the screens, He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. So Jesus is the glue that holds it together. You know, in science, you know, they can't quite figure out how do you have, you know, uh, the same charges that don't come to their natural expressions and repulse one another? How do you have two protons? How do you have electrons and they don't just expand? Well, the Bible says that God holds it all together. He holds the universe together, but He is a God who holds it all together. He holds you together. He holds me together. He can hold your life together, your relationship together, your marriage together. Because you know what? The point comes where you, you, if you're like me, you can't hold it together. It's true. And so this year, I had some things bugging me. I had some things bugging me. Really bugging me. And, uh, and I kind of kept trying to, you know, brush it off, you know, and I couldn't brush it off. And so I, I never told anybody. I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want my wife to know. I didn't want my friends to know. I didn't want anybody to know, but I felt depressed. And I thought to myself, oh, this is what it feels like to feel depressed. This is, this is terrible. It's really terrible. I'd never felt that in my whole life. I'd never felt depressed like I felt depressed. And so I'm, I'm trying to just push through it and double down and work harder and do everything I knew how to do and nothing was working. And I'm just trying to just kind of push this thing down, but I'm feeling, feeling depressed. How you doing, Rod? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm not telling anybody. And so, um, and I'm feeling like I can't hold it together. I feel like I, I don't know if I can hold this together here. I don't know what to do with these feelings. Yeah, should I get, what should I do? And so uh, finally, you know, I went back. I just, I, I just, I, uh, in, a, in a way I'd never done before, I, I released that. I submitted that. I submitted my life. I did everything I could. I just felt, you know, broken. And, and, uh, and I gave it to God, and he kind of held me together, kind of put, put me back together. And, you know, the Bible, or, or a song, there's an old song that says, He's got the whole world in his hand. You know, remember that old song? He's got the whole world in his hands. Remember that? He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Put your hands together and thank you for being there. Yeah, right on. So. But you know what you realize is sometimes there's things in your hands and you can't handle them. 
And it's beyond you and it's too much for you. And you've got to put those things in God's hands. So that's what you do. But he holds the whole world together. You were created by God, for God. He holds it all together. God just didn't create the world and then blow it off and go, you know, hang out in the heavenlies there. But he keeps it all together. So number three there in your notes, Jesus is eternal. He is eternal. He holds all creation together there. And so number four, Jesus' power holds the cosmos together, holds us together, what I talked about there. And so his hands can hold together what my hands and your hands cannot hold together. And like me, the day is coming. The day will come when you feel like, you know, you're not quite able to hold it together. And you will need to go to your maker and realize that he is the one holds the world, the cosmos together, creation together, and holds you together too. And so number five here, he's a God that holds all things together. He is the sustainer. He's the one that sustains you. Okay, he's the one that created you. He is the ruling, reigning, sustaining, saving Jesus here. And so he can sustain you when you feel like you can't sustain yourself, when you cannot uphold yourself any longer there. So when your life is falling apart, when your marriage is falling apart, when your employment world, your business is falling apart, you go to him who is the one that can sustain you. You go to your maker. Verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body, okay? He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And so he's the head of the church. So so when you look at me, you know, and think, okay, this is what the church is. It's got his head. The head is Jesus. And then you have the body, the feet and the hands, the appendages, the limbs, the organs, all that. That's you. Now, how many people know my head is gone? I've got a problem. I mean, I'm, I'm in trouble, right? If I don't have my head, I'm in trouble. And so the head is very important to the body. If I lose my head, I'm like in serious trouble if I'm disconnected from the head. So what happens if you're disconnected? You are spastic. You are dysfunctional. Uh, you've got Parkinson's disease. Uh, you are paralyzed. Basically, you can't function. So what does that say then? What does that say about us if Christ is the head and you're the body? How, you, how do you do life? You have to be intimately connected to the head, right? You've got to stay intimately connected. Because in your life, you'll notice, you get, if you're not, you'll get paralyzed. You know, uh, you'll get you know, tremors and all. And uh, uh, you won't be able to function well. Uh, you can fake it and all that. But to really function well, the head has to be well connected, intimately connected to the body there. And so every Christ follower needs to get his direction from the head. Okay, number six there, Jesus is the head. Okay, the church is unstoppable because of the head. He is the leader. Watch. Okay, he's the senior leader of the church. He's the big boss. Okay, he calls the shots. Church was conceived in the mind of Almighty God. It's His idea. And so He founded. He's in charge. He's in control. He's the genius. He's the great mastermind of the church. And so how critical then is it? I'm just asking you. How critical is it, if you're a Christ follower, that you stay intimately connected to the head there? How are you going to know the desires of the head? How are you going to have direction? How are you going to, you know, uh, live if you're not controlled 
by the head. And so Jesus is the head, and we recognize his headship as a church. And so he directs us. Uh, uh, we're always looking to him as elders. We're always looking to him. In our elders meeting, sometimes we'll just quiet ourselves and say, what is the head? What is Jesus speaking to us? Just be quiet. Be quiet for a while. And just like, can we hear what the head is saying to us? And so we acknowledge him in all your ways, acknowledge the head and he'll direct your path here. And so what you're doing is you're saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to help? Who do you want me to love? What do you want me to start? What do you want me to stop? You know, what do you want me to continue doing? See, he's the head. And so you have to be intimately related to the head if you're going to live the Christian life here. So then it says this. Now he's the head. He's the sustainer. Okay, he's eternal. He's creator. He is God. Now watch that. In everything, he might be preeminent. What does that mean, preeminent? It means that he wants to be first place in your life. Uh, numero uno. Can we all say that together on the count of three? One, two, three. Numero uno. So that's what he wants to be. He's the head of the church, the foundation of the church, the builder of the church, the preserver of the church, the, the sustainer and keeper and message and glory of the church. But watch. He wants to be preeminent. So what does that mean? He wants to be first place. Well, here's, here's why this is important, and here's why we need to take this seriously. You're a Christ follower. The truth is, there's some area of your life where he is not preeminent. Don't look at me like that. I'm just telling you. You're looking at... He's, there are areas of my life he's not preeminent. And so where is it then? Where is it? that he wants to be preeminent, number one, numero uno in our lives. Where would that want to be? Talk to me. Talk to me. Where does he want to be number one? Come on. Everywhere. But that's it. That, that's like cheating a little bit. So don't give me the church. Just specifically, I want to drill down. Marriage. Yes. Where else? Work. Finances. Where else? Loud. In your heart. Yeah, right on. Anywhere else? Food. Right on, baby. Maybe for you, but not for me. He wants me to be the head when it comes to food, and I'm preeminent. That area, it's one area that's off limits. So, so <laughs> that was good. You know what? This is the guy in the video, by the way, that was jumping up and going like this. Stand up. Stand up right here. Put your hand. That was the guy right there. <laughs> we can't recognize you when you're clean. So... Um, so he wants to be preeminent in your thoughts, your thought life, in your relationships, in how you raise your children, in your dreams, your dreams of what you're going to be in your dating world. Got some people right there where you're going to go to college, wants to be preeminent. They're here in your decisions. We talked about marriage here in your family, in your career choice. Okay, in your next career choice, in your job, in your work. We heard about money, how we uh, are expressions of generosity. He wants to be preeminent, number one, everywhere. And then it says this, and he's the firstborn from the dead. So Jesus is, is not dead. How many people know you cannot do very much when you're dead? You know that, right? 
He can't do very much. Well, it says here that Jesus is not dead. He's alive. So he's not just a good example of the past. But you know what? He can help you today because he's the firstborn in preeminence there. And so every day is like Easter. Every day, watch, watch. Every day, Jesus takes dead and dying things and brings them back to life. Every day he can do that. And so every day, you know, there is life. Because he conquered death. He is preeminent. He's the pioneer. He, he pioneered the path from death to life. Okay. He's the one that died never to die again when he rose from the dead. And so Jesus then is alive. Okay. So the take home is this. Because he's alive, it changes everything for everybody for all time. That's the good news. And so, um, if you come to church on occasion, you know, and, and you hear that, you know, dang, it's like, it's like, I like the same awesome thing, like all the time, you know. This dead guy, you know, has come back. Well, that's the good news, you know. That's, that's, that changes everything. That's the hinge point of Christianity. So, verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. All that God is, all that God is, is downloaded and packaged into a person of Christ. The fullness of God there. All that he is there is in Christ. And his fullness is fully accessible to us here. Everything you need from God, you have in Christ there. If you feel, you know, you're in darkness, he is the light. If, you know, the Bible says where sin abounds, he gives grace that even more abounds there. And so if you're hungry, he's the bread of life. If you're thirsty, he's the living water. He is the fullness of God there. You feel guilty and you have that cloud, you know, when you get that cloud around you and you live under that cloud of guilt, he is the forgiver and he is your righteousness. If you feel like, you know, I just can't, I can't sort it out. I can't, I can't quite see my way. He is the one that gives you light there. And so Jesus is the fullness of God. Point number eight, Jesus Christ is God. And so Jesus said that he was God. His followers said that he was God. They died because he was God. He is in a category unto himself here, fully God, fully man. This is huge. I'm telling you, this is huge, baby. This is life-changing when you get a hold of this here. And so one of the most important questions you can ask is this, is who is Jesus Christ? And how you answer that will define your life. And so, verse 20, and through him, that is Jesus, watch what he, watch what happened. God reconciled everything. I told you this was the deep end, okay? God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross here. So, watch, watch. What Jesus did is that he reconciled, put back together a holy God and an unholy man but through the cross, through the shed blood of the cross, that's how it happened. Because otherwise, you can't connect a holy God with unholy humanity. 
They can't coexist. So the only way that that could happen there is God had to send His Son in the likeness of man in human flesh. Philippians chapter 2 there, you know, uh, He just took this downward pathway, this downward mobility, went to a place from you could be no higher, became... Uh, human to a place he could go no lower, dies on a cross there to reconcile man with God here because we severed the relationship. We broke the relationship there because of sin. So Jesus dies the death that we should have died. Jesus pays the price that we could not pay. Jesus gives us the gift that we could not earn. And this is Jesus. There's no one. There's no one like Jesus. Okay? Jesus Christ, number nine, is the reconciler of humanity to God here. And so think about this. Like, who here would die for your family? Some. Would you die for your enemy? Would you die for somebody you hate? The Bible says in Romans that while we were yet sinners, hating God... Christ died for the ungodly. That's what he did. He died for people that hated him. And this is the love of God. And so this is why Christ followers just can't get over it. Can't get over just the wonder of his love there. What God, that God would take my place, you know, that I become family instead of enemy. And so that's what it is. Jesus turns enemy into family. He turns in those that are condemned to those experiencing condemnation to those that are experiencing salvation. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. You know what? Have you ever, have you ever said to somebody with an attitude, they're a piece. Or they're a piece of work. You don't have to raise your hands. You've said that. I heard somebody say that. And that's really, that's really creative, Ken. And so, so, I don't know, a few times I said, you know, they're a piece of work. You know, I kind of had a, a little attitude going on there. A little piece of work. You know what I'm talking about? You mean people like that? You're looking at me like you don't even know what I'm talking about. You give me a stinking break. You know what I'm talking about, that they're a piece of work. And you're being all frozen because maybe you feel like the piece of work is sitting next to you. And you just don't want to, you want to let into it. <laughs> And so, but seriously, I am a colossal piece of work. I'm a colossal piece of work in God's eyes. And God looked at this colossal piece of work, and he loved me, and he reconciled me. He put me back together with God, someone that if you knew my story, if you knew my story, I absolutely don't deserve to be here with you this morning. I do not deserve to be here. And he put me back together with God. And he did that for you. You see, he is, Jesus is the reconciler. Verse 21. And this includes you. That includes all of us here this morning who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. So we were far from God, alienated from God. Verse 22. And yet he reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ. He makes you holy and blameless. In other words, now we're in right standing with God. We're in wrong standing. Now this full transformation, you get a new start. Isn't that beautiful? You get a new start here. You get a new mind. You get a new life here. And you, and you begin this, this pathway 
of your life being transformed by the grace of God. What a beautiful thing that that is. And so that's what God does in you. He causes you to think differently, to act differently, to react differently. He gives you a change of heart. Your conduct changes. Your vocation may change. Your relationship to money changes. Everything changes. If any man be in Christ, he becomes new. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Isn't that beautiful? So Jesus Christ, number 10, is the only Savior. He's the only Savior. So perhaps you're here this morning as we close. Let me just say this, that maybe you feel like you're far from God. What I want to do is close just to give us an opportunity to respond to that if you would bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your word, which is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. And you're here this morning. You sense maybe God calling you and inviting you into friendship, into relationship to be his child. It's so simple. You believe on Jesus as God's son and the power of his death on the cross to make you right with God and believe that Jesus' resurrection defeated sin and death on your behalf, and you take him as your Savior. If that is you, just wherever you're at, you don't have to raise your hands, you don't have to look up. You just say yes. Just say yes to God. Say yes to forgiveness. Yes, I want to be your child. And just whisper that to him even now as we're here.